when you quiet the dissent, you think that the problem goes away, but problems don't go away. People go away. And so it's quiet. And then you're like, oh, yay, we can get going and do the thing. But the problems keep rearing its head because you haven't solved anything. Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker. Learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. Today, I want you to meet Cecilia Wessinger, who I have known for several years through her work as a community activator with the Ewing Marion Kaufman Foundation and her role at Startup Champions Network. In this conversation, Cecilia shares what types of conflict she has encountered in helping convene an ecosystem of ecosystem builders. Cecilia also talks about how she approaches trust building among diverse parties. Find out why we shouldn't quiet but encourage dissent and what places you need to check out if you ever make it to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Let's go! Cecilia Wessinger, thank you so much for coming in the show. Let's jump right in. If I were to come to your ecosystem for the first time, where would you take me? I've been thinking about this question since you started asking it on your podcast. And considering my ecosystem is literally everywhere, that's a lot of territory. In fact, um, I just had a call with the Global Spaceport Alliance. So so it's not just global. It's like, ooh, intergalactic. But Since I currently reside in Tulsa, Oklahoma, <laughs> uh, and many may not be familiar, I'll introduce you to my adopted hometown. I would start by taking you to the center of the universe, which is where all great adventures begin. Um, the center of the universe is actually a circle of bricks that um, denotes an area on a pedestrian bridge that connects the Arts District and downtown Tulsa. The bridge spans across the railroad tracks and It doesn't seem like much, but when you stand in the middle of the circle and say something or make a noise, it echoes back louder. It's not heard that way in outside the circle. And though the sounds around it are amplified when you're in the circle, it's like an interesting sound phenomenon. And it's probably perhaps symbolic of Tulsa in some fashion, like Tulsa is more than what meets the eye, and it connects people in ways that they're not expecting. So from the center of the universe, uh, we'd walk a few blocks to Main Street on the Arts District side, and there's some lovely eateries. Uh, most of them are one of a kind. So Tulsa has some local chains, and it does have some chain restaurants, but a lot of it is the, the magic of place here. It's only happening here. Um, like Chimera, which is noted for its vegan menu. By the way, Tulsa is on a list of top vegan-friendly cities, not what you'd expect, right? Um, so Chimera is coffee house by day and a bar and event venue by night. So it's a great hybrid model. And Rob and his team have been really great supporters of local founders. And it's a popular meeting spot. And a few doors down, 
Um, Ida Red is a store that sells uniquely Tulsa goods, um, as well as some sweet treats and a dozen, several dozen flavors of soda. You can get like pickle soda. I'm talking to you, Larkin and um, and Ashley, because I know you're <laughs> out there and you're wondering. But um, so up the street is 36 degrees north, mm -hmm. which is one of our first co-working spaces in Tulsa. It's a collaboration mm -hmm. of several foundations and learning institutions, and they call it the base camp for entrepreneurs. Um, further up the street is the historic Kane's Ballroom. It's a popular music venue that was built in the 1920s. Um, it's iconic and, and has hosted musicians like the Smashing Pumpkins, U2, uh, the Sex Pistols played there. Um, there's actually a hole in the wall where um, I think it was Sid Vicious like punched the hole in the wall. It's really interesting. Across the street, my friend Andy, who started out as a lawyer, decided that he liked throwing parties and entertaining more than he liked practicing law. And he's living in Austin, Texas, and he looked across to see where it would be optimal to build a bar. And of course, across from the Canes Ballroom made sense. He moved from Austin to Tulsa to open up this bar, the Inner Circle Vodka wow. Bar, where they infuse their own blends of vodka and it changes seasonally. And now they have a second location in Springfield, Missouri. So next door to where Inner Circle is, they're going to be building the OK Pop Museum, um, which will open in a couple of months. And, and then we'd walk over the Guthrie Green, which is an urban park with a water feature. Um, that's where we host public concerts and yoga classes and movies and events. And, and across the street, you'll see the Woody Guthrie Center, which is the Grammy Museum, and the Bob Dylan Center, um, and then the ballpark. And then you walk towards Reconciliation Park that leads you over to historic Black Wall mm -hmm. Street. And for those of you who aren't familiar, um, the Greenwood area of Tulsa was the site of one of the largest race massacres in the United States. And the area tells a story of one of the richest black communities um, that was burned to the ground in 1921. There is a legacy of resilience and trauma, which we continue to work through. And on the street in front of those shops, the current shops that there are, there are markers of the businesses that came before. So it's a, it's an interesting place. And that's, where I live. It sounds like Tulsa has it going on. I had no idea. Very cool. Thank you for taking us on such a, on such a delicious, insightful, exciting tour. Thank you, Cecilia. All right. I am so excited to talk to you about this topic because you've had so much experience in this space, not just as an ecosystem builder yourself, but as an ecosystem builder of ecosystems. So I love that really meta perspective you're bringing with the work you used to do with the eShip communities at the Kaufman Foundation, your work at the Global Entrepreneurship Network, but also the work that you've just been doing uh, under and through mass collaboration. So I love the topic of conflict. I personally hate conflict, but I have learned that conflict is just part of the deal and part of the work that we do. Can you take us back to a situation in your career, whether you were a bystander or actively involved, in which there was conflict within the ecosystem. Can you tell us about who was involved, what was the issue, and what was at stake? 
Sure. Um, so I work through situations that involve conflict regularly. Let me share experiences that have involved me personally, as opposed to somebody else, because I don't want to speak for mm -hmm. somebody who's not in the room. Um, you know, I've had a very unique role in ecosystem building because most people ecosystem build on a project or a program or a community, a region, even a country. And mm -hmm. I've had the honor and privilege of ecosystem building ecosystem builders from um, being a consultant yeah. with Kaufman, as you said, and, and now with the Global Entrepreneurship Network and with Startup Champions and all the other organizations I'm involved in. It is really... And I thought about it as like, um, yeah, I used to kid around that I was herding cats and I don't think it's herding. I think I shepherd, right? In a way that you support and foster and guide a little bit, but shepherding to me is a little bit different than just simply herding um, because you really have to be mindful. So in the roles that I mm -hmm. ha have had, um, I'm often the point of contact and interface with the wider community. And decisions that are made collectively and sometimes top down are disconnected from the people that they affect, that affect them. Um, and it's my job to share yeah. and translate and align and execute. And those are not always popular, right? And sometimes not fair either, those decisions. And there are people who hold me responsible for being a roadblock or unsupportive of their efforts because I'm the closest point of contact. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they want to stay in right relationship with the larger entity, be it the project or the program, the organization, such as a foundation or a network. So they want to make sure that they're in relationship with them. And it's easier to blame me, especially since the decision, the outcome, the restriction, disapproval, whatever negative message came out of my mouth, right? Or in a letter that I crafted. Mm -hmm. And some of my team members have recognized me as collateral damage. I am the collateral damage that happens in the course of these actions. And they sympathize. And while they may talk with the individual and take on some of the responsibility, it's not usually the case either. Um, they don't deny it. And they, they just simply don't share all the things that transpired or it's not top of mind. And people are confrontation averse. So, and ecosystem builders are definitely by nature connectors and conveners. We bridge. So when mm -hmm. part of the community, um, when we're part of the community, it's our nature to want things to go smoothly. The hardest part of all of these encounters yeah. is that I was standing out there feeling very alone sometimes since many of the team are uncomfortable with the discomfort. And, and then it just becomes... Mm -hmm my fault. And you know what? I don't blame anybody for all of that, but, and I understand that mm -hmm. somebody has to deliver the message and, and make sure that we're in alignment, but, uh, but that's conflict, right? Tell us a little bit more about what it's like for you to be in the eye of the storm. If like everybody else takes a step back and you're the one who's still there upholding what you believe to be true, to be right, you know, bringing up, it's really hard to be the one who's willing to speak their truth when everybody else around you is not willing to do so. Tell us a little bit more about what that does to you as an ecosystem builder, but also just as a person. So, and, and I don't want to put myself out there as the martyr. I mean, it was my job, right? And, and mm -hmm. um, in 
thankfully, in some of these cases, I've been compensated to do that, whereas some of the people that the decisions affect haven't been. So I try to be empathetic about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's annoying, right? If for nothing else, that, that it's like, you know what? You could actually say something to these people and just take a little bit of ownership, but you can't. Yeah. Sometimes, right? Because of the position that you hold or or just that it's not, it's a very uncomfortable place. And and it's not that I'm any better for the person standing up there and saying something. I'm not doing any kind of superhuman thing, but but things need to adjust. And one of the things that I've discovered about community building is I try not to use the word cooperation. Not that I don't want you to work together with somebody else, but I want to take away the notion of going along to get along because it's not where innovation, the creativity, all of those things happen. All that growth happens outside of your comfort zone, right? And, and, but we have a tendency to quiet dissent because when we quiet dissent, then things go smoothly. But then, Things don't progress necessarily. We just keep rolling along and not getting anywhere. And so so that's a really challenging part when we talk about the fact that, you know, when you quiet the, the dissent, you think that the problem goes away, but problems don't go away. People go away. And so it's quiet. And then you're like, mm-hmm. oh, yay, we can get going and do the thing. But the problems keep rearing its head because you haven't solved anything. You've just gotten rid of the people that were grumbling. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Those people grumbled because they cared. So that's part of the thing that you want to remember. And that doesn't make them right. It just means that they had skin in the game and it mattered to them. And you and I talked and and there were questions about um, the outcome of all of these, these conflicts and things. And understanding that there was an opportunity to, um, I, I mean, I've, I've fired a volunteer. I didn't actually fire them. They were volunteers. Um, but I actually asked them to step back when they were unresponsive. I've had somebody badmouth me across mm-hmm. the community, though I'm still connected and continue to mm-hmm. engage with them. And another one would hold me responsible for getting them dismissed, even though it was a management decision. It really wasn't a good fit, but, and there were other voices and I was only one of the voices, but those things happen. And, and then what do you do about them? Like, how do you, how do you heal from that going forward? Right. And understanding that, that things happen because they have to, or because they just do. And then how do you deal with that? Whatever trauma that is, right. Understanding that, it affects them. It also affects you and your community, whether or not you recognize that there was a trauma that happened. Does that resonate? I feel so seen and heard right now. <laughs> yes, it does resonate with me. Um, and I know there are a handful, at least a handful out of a handful of people out there who will feel seen as well. Um, Cecilia, with a little bit of distance to that conflict, for example. I find that often letting emotions cool off and getting some distance and putting things in the past, if you then look at them a few years later, we can see certain 
themes we can draw certain lessons? Is there anything you're taking away from that that influences your behavior in the present? Oh, completely. It's all lessons learned, right? And if you don't learn from those lessons, then you should, yeah. you're going to be bound to go back and have to do them all over again. Um, so I learned that there's a connotation around the word transparency. Um, people used to ask me when I was consulting mm -hmm. at Kaufman, um, well, you're not being transparent. And I was like, I don't know that you're, I'm not being transparent. Like, I don't know your question, or I don't know you, or I don't know what you need. Right. And they would ask me questions like, so what's going on yeah. with Kaufman? It's like, well, I don't know what you mean. First of all, I don't work at the Kaufman Foundation. I work with the Kaufman Foundation. Right. And I work on mm -hmm. one project that's with one program manager that is part of one department. And there's a big old foundation I have no visibility yeah. on. Right. But if I don't know you, if we haven't built those relationships, I don't know what kind of question you're asking, what kind of information you're seeking. So it's that relationship building that needs to happen, right? The more we're in relationship, the more we get to know each other, then it would be different for somebody like you, who I have a relationship with, when you ask me something, then I'm going to answer in a way that I think that you you want to know, right? So Transparency yeah. is a is a word that I try to avoid because there's that that connotation that something's being hidden from you and it seems really nefarious and and it stems I think from insecurity and scarcity mindset so I keep those things in mind. Sometimes it's simply not visibility and not because of lack of effort or time, but like I said, you're not being in excluded intentionally. It's just well, I don't know. Um I've also realized that people don't think about you nearly as much as you think they think about you, right? So you think, oh, they're yeah. they're being mean to me. And they're like, no, it doesn't mean they don't care, but it means that they have other stuff going on. So it's they're being human, right? And and they think about themselves. The other big takeaway um, is is the realization that we judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their actions. And so we assume mm -hmm. that that's what's going on is, oh, what I think is happening is actually happening. Humans are so messy. <laughs> true. And I love what you said about, I love what you said about the fact that we need those relationships to have really to have fruitful conversations. How else are we going to connect on a, on a deeper human level? If I'm just shooting questions at you and you don't know who I am, I see this happening on the national scale, but I see it happening even in local ecosystems is if we want to have a conversation, I need some some certain parameters to know where you're coming from, to understand your position, to understand where you're going, like what train are you on and how does this question or this topic or this project fit into that journey so I can make sure we're somewhat aligned for part of the journey. Hey there. While we're chatting about all things ecosystem building, I wanted to invite you over to socialventurers.com, where you can find even more content and insights into what we're talking about. And if you want to be the first one to hear about new episodes, get some behind the scenes content, and you could use a heartfelt reminder that what you do matters, sign up for Impact Curator. Impact Curator is my curated love letter to our community that hits your inbox every two weeks. And now back to the show. This is actually a perfect segue 
into the second part of this conversation that I really wanted to hone in on. And I'm curious to hear what you're seeing and hearing. The question of trust. Yeah. I think a lot of this relationship building, getting to know each other, um, recognizing someone else for their intention more so than their actions. With all the work you have done and the, the work you continue to be engaged in and witness on a global scale, we talk so much about building trust and building things at the speed of trust. How do you go about building trust? Hmm. So um, trust is an interesting thing. And I think there's a, um, the interpretation that I have is, is that trust is about reliability with a hope of authenticity, mm -hmm. um, a sprinkle of truth and relational possibility. So the most important thing. Oh God, I want to write that down. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. The most no, important no, thing. No, I mean, I, because you asked the question, I've had to think about it. And then, and understanding that it's not just like one thing, it's not the dictionary definition, but there's a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of hope that's that's put into it right and there's a lot of you that's mm -hmm. put into the action of trusting somebody so what i found is the most important part for me in trust is consistency it's ironic though because when we consider people who are disagreeable and unaligned with our perspectives we might consider them trustworthy not because we like them or agree with them but because we believe that they're telling the truth, right? So, so that mm -hmm. person that sit, stands on the other side of the line where they're not there and they're, they're like the anti whatever it is, you're pro, but the stuff that comes out of their mouth, you know, as their own truth. So you trust that what they say is true for them, whether or not you like it, which is really interesting. So the difference between trust and alignment, not necessarily cohesive, right? Like not always in tandem. Yeah. So there's a phrase, um, your word is your bond. You build trust through that credibility. Mm -hmm. um, you can even change your mind, but you have to have the visit, you have to share the visibility on why. It can't happen in a vacuum because it's the lack of visibility that causes mistrust. And I'm not talking about like sharing all the mm -hmm. details and minutia of why you changed your mind, but you can't deflect or you shouldn't deflect or avoid. And that involves a lot of vulnerability. So mm -hmm. if you say, you know what, this is, this is what I believe to be true. And then years later you go, mm, maybe I was wrong. And then people like blow their minds. Oh my gosh, I can't trust you. Well, we've evolved, right? Or we've learned new information yeah. that changed the way that things are. Share that new information. And like you said, everything moves at that speed of trust. So if you don't share the information on why you changed your mind, right, then they'll just think you're being inconsistent and they can't trust you because they don't know where you stand. So I'm also hearing a version of be honest speak your truth, which really is your truth, mm -hmm. but be consistent and honest and vulnerable in sharing whatever you're working through and thinking through and struggling with. Is that right? 
Yeah. You know, one of, one of the jobs that I've had in the past is I sold vacation ownership. I was in the travel industry for a long time and vacation mm-hmm. ownership, kind of like timeshare. Talk about trust building. Oh my gosh. Um, and I realized that um, what, what happens is that um, people don't trust you right? Because what they, they call it blowing smoke. You just keep saying that it'll do whatever. And one of the lessons that I learned in sales and believe me, sailing vacation ownership is like the biggest psychology class ever. Right. And the lesson that I learned is what you have to share with people are what we called baby negatives. Because if you tell people what it doesn't do, then they will believe you when -hmm. you tell them what it does do right? You cannot 100% mm-hmm. guarantee that everything's going to happen perfectly every single time. Would you believe me? Right? That's the, the misnomer of timeshare salespeople, um, used car salespeople, like all of those things that we have a negative connotation with. They just keep telling you how perfect it is. And that doesn't build trust. And I think that that's the misnomer of thinking that you have to guarantee everything. And so, you know, especially in doing this ecosystem building work, I'm not the expert, but likely I know somebody who is, right? That's the connectivity that I have the honor and privilege of having. Yeah. So being able to say, I don't know the answer, but I will go find out the answer for you. That's how you build trust. Don't make shit up, right? Because then when it's wrong, then you're screwed. When you're right, you're also screwed because now you've become the expert right? And people are going to rely on you. And now you're Mm -hmm. going to have to go and do a whole bunch of homework because now you think that you know everything. So So, don't make shit up. It's generally (laughs) good life advice as far as I'm concerned. And secondly, this is something I learned like since I joined the Shenandoah Community Capital Fund. I came in with a lot of knowledge around ecosystem building and what I believe to work and not work. But shifting that mindset from I know everything. I've thought more about this and written more about this than a lot of people in our field. But shifting that mindset from, yeah, but there's a lot I still don't know. And I'm going to be very open about the fact that I don't know this. But like you said, I know who to call to find out a little bit more so that we can learn together. And I will share this very vulnerably. And it has been such a relief to not be that expert or try to position yourself as an expert or... I hate the term thought leader, but it's true of just being open about the things that you're not good at yet, I think helps with building trust Mm -hmm. and is a much more comfortable situation to be in as far as I'm concerned, because it brings your ego in and it really sets people's expectation of what you can and cannot deliver. Absolutely. Cecilia, you talked earlier about what it's like to be the one out front when conflict arises. And being one of the people who will shield and who will work through it. Um, how do you take care of yourself when that happens? If, if everything mm. becomes too much, how do you take care of Cecilia first? Well, um, first I have to try to ground myself in remembering people are doing the best that they can with what they have. Whether it's resources or information or support. Um, I think about the, the difference between the golden rule and the platinum rule. So the platinum rule is treating others the way they want to be treated as opposed to the way you want to be treated. Try to assume good intent and then remember the magic formula of people plus culture equals everything. Uh, 
Um, and I keep working at the culture with grace, but what really helps support me is the amazing advisory of fellow ecosystem builders that I can call on and sense make when it gets tough. To have somebody on the other end of the line or on the other side of an email or a text message when you go, what the heck? Yeah. And, and they go, oh yeah, I get that too. Um, not being alone, I think is really helpful. And I've had the benefit of, of connecting with other ecosystem builders and, and it's not, it's not just to hear the comfortable things, but also to hold you responsible sometimes, call you the carpet and hold your feet to the fire and go, hey, maybe you are a little off, right? Or, or maybe that didn't make a whole bunch of sense. So, so I want to be really mindful of that too. And that's what a good advisor does. And you, so you surround yourself with a board of advisors. Those are your fellow ecosystem builders, your friends, people that want you to be successful, but also understand the importance of success long-term, right? Make sure you don't burn out. Somebody who calls you and goes, did you take a rest? Have you taken vacation lately? You know, stuff like that. We all need a David Hirsch and we all need <laughs> yes, you, a personal advisory do. group of other ecosystem builders to yeah. help us work through issues and take care of ourselves. Thank you so much. Um, I do want to dive a little bit deeper into this treasure chest of advice that you have. But before we do so, I want to remind everybody here that they can find out more about your work at ceciliawessinger.me and connect with you on LinkedIn and Twitter. I will make sure that all of these links are also in the show notes. So Cecilia is really only a click away. All right. Our rapid fire round is where I start a sentence or ask you a question and without thinking too much about it, say the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay. Social capital is? Something you work on every day with every action and every encounter. So good. Who is one ecosystem builder who's really good at building trust and social capital? You. You're consistently... <laughs> You will, because you consistently ask the hard and easy questions, and you can you're you're continuously learning, and you're generously sharing all the knowledge and wisdom that you acquire. So, thank you. That is, thank you for saying that. That's really That's nice to hear. True. What is one resource, video, podcast, blog, book, documentary? I don't know. Instagram account that influenced you that you would recommend to other ecosystem builders? Well, you've already interviewed April Ray, so, so I won't mention Flux, although she should get another shout out. Um, there was a book that Andy Stoll, who's at the Kauffman Foundation, recommended to me. Um, it's Who Do We Choose to Be by Margaret Wheatley. And it's a book about leadership oh. that's not focused on managing and leading in a prescriptive way, mm -hmm. but it's about leadership that cultivates more leaders, um, how we might create islands of sanity and chaos. She also is known for saying that no matter the, the problem, community is the solution. And I firmly believe that. So Margaret Wheatley and, and Who Do We Choose to Be is a good place to start with Margaret Wheatley's work. 
All right, Cecilia, our time has come to an end. I have a feeling that we'll have a lot of reasons to bring you back on the show in the future and hear more about your adventures with uh, ecosystems all around the world and even beyond the planet Earth. Thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to see what's coming up next for you. Neither can I. So thanks for having me. Find out more about Cecilia's work at ceciliawessinger.me and connect with her on LinkedIn and Twitter. I pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Monacan, Shawanda Setula and Monahawk people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water and community. I pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media. Yellow House Media